Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh, my. Did Mick plant one on C-card? Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck right the right to King But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk, proud member of RR Productions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode 104, and it is my Islanders 2021-22 season in review. This is my take on the season, uh, with a focus on the rough stuff, obviously, uh, there are other shows out there if you're looking for a straight, uh, just hockey-related season in review. I'll get into some of that as well, but obviously with the focus of this program being on the rough stuff, we're going to focus on that a little bit too. But first, if you are on social media, if you're on Twitter, the uh, Twitter account, why do I always stumble over this? It's so stupid. I've said it every single episode, but... The Twitter account for the podcast is at Pod. My personal Twitter account is at Joe underscore Lozito. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. I, uh, before we go further, just let you know... Um, uh, battling, not a cold, but I think maybe a little bit of allergies today. Uh, started raining this morning. It's a, it's a beautiful Monday morning, raining out. Uh, I'll take the rain. It's not that cold, but um, I think sometimes after rain, I don't know if it's, uh, it just kind of brings everything out. And um, I haven't taken my allergy pill yet. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It may sound a little uh chonky here but uh but i'm okay and i don't want you to be uh, i don't want you to be concerned now getting back to the business at hand my logo the logo that i love logo makes me look a lot younger much more handsome that logo was done by local long island artist joe marisich if you have an art project that you are looking to get done for yourself a loved one even if it's someone that you don't like, but you want it to look good and you want to mess with them, but in a first-class way, I would absolutely get in touch with Joe. You can get in touch with Joe on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker, or at LoudEgg.com. A couple of other shows I would like to tell you about. If you're a regular listener, you know exactly who they are. If you're a first-time listener, listen up. These are uh, two pretty good guys here. First one is the fourth line voice with my pal Darren up in Saskatoon. Well, no, he's not. uh, I guess he's not Saskatoon proper anymore. Hasn't been actually told me the, uh, the new town that he lives in. 
and uh, I never made a note of it. But uh, let's just say uh, Saskatchewan. Let's see, uh, proud Sasky Darren, uh, the Flatlands up there in the prairies, the fourth line voice, proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, two episodes a week. Uh, Wednesday are the interview episodes. Sundays are generally the Sunday shit show episodes. But as of late, Darren, myself, and then the next young lad, Alec, will discuss him too. Um, guests have been a little hard to come by. I think we all prefer to uh, to interview the former players and bring their stories to you. But, uh, but uh, it's been uh, a little uh, rough sled lately for all of us. I'm sure, we're all going to get back to it. But uh, so Darren has mixed it up a little bit. Uh, instead of having a Sunday shit show yesterday, uh, he interviewed Andrew, who is a long-suffering Leafs fan, and that's very important. It's very important because he's a long-suffering Leafs fan, which means he's not one of these new age dorky Leafs fans that follow YouTubers and stuff like that. He's a legitimate fan um, who has been through uh, the ringer with this team. And uh, he's seen some bad times, so he can appreciate the good times. He's not one of these spoiled uh, idiots that you see on social media that think the Leafs walk on water and that their analytics-loving GM is uh, God's gift to hockey. It was a very, very interesting episode. One of the things they talk about, I think, are Andrew's five toughest Leafs fights to watch. And since this is an Islanders-based podcast, I will tell you two of those fights are fights that as Islander fans we love uh, and also that I have spoken about on numerous occasions so I'm sure if you think about it one will come to mind right away the other one might take you a little bit to think about but then you'll go oh yeah yeah I get it I get it uh, but Andrew was that was a good listen uh, I think it was one of his uh, one of Darren's better fan interview episodes and uh, I would urge you to listen also, Darren has a Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. And as we all know, if you've ever watched the fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribing already, what are you thinking? Go there, click the subscribe button, the bell. I forget what it is on which, uh, I think it's a subscribe button on, on your laptop. It might be a bell on your phone. I have no idea. Either way, go and subscribe. The aforementioned Alec Coden Salen, the host of the Five for Fighting podcast, proud member of Six Pack Coverage. His latest guest was John from the Hockey Fight League, and they discussed the top heavyweights in the ECHL. Uh, Alec recently, he had been in Florida for uh, some time, really got into the Florida Everblades, really uh, did the deep dive into the East Coast League this year, and... Um, Post well, let's not get let's not put the cart before the horse here. Uh, but uh, the focus of his show really shifted to the ECHL, and he really uh, he was really the guy to do it. He was right there, right in the middle of things, and uh, a lot of his recent episodes or episodes throughout the season were ECHL focused, and uh, and he did a great job. Now he is up in North Carolina, I think. I don't know what the closest team is to him. Maybe Norfolk. I'm not sure, but. Check out his episode with John. John's a good guy. Alex's a good guy. And uh, really, really fun episode. episode. And, um, you know, talk about guys you know, maybe some guys you don't know. And, um, I again, I can't urge you enough 
to check it out. Now, Alec also has a YouTube channel, uh, the uh, Five for Fighting YouTube channel, and uh, he's looking for subscribers. Well, he's not actively looking for subscribers. It's not like he's going door to door. But apparently, if you get a certain number of subscribers, you're able to monetize your channel, and I think it's a 1,000. So uh, please go to the Five for Fighting uh, YouTube channel, hit subscribe, and catch up on the uh, the league, the four-letter league that uh, made its bones on fighting, but now doesn't want you to know that. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes people, organizations, they forget where they came from. And I'm sure, you know what, I'm sure it's probably just one person somewhere near the top that uh, hates fighting and uh, does not want it to be spoken about in that league. Meanwhile, it was probably, uh, as far as fights go, the the best league this year for that. So check out his YouTube channel. It's the four-letter letter league that shall not be named. Definitely, you will not be disappointed. And the Enforcer Appreciation page, of course, on Facebook, where Alec runs that as well. Now let's uh, do a little bit here. I First and foremost... Today is Monday, May 2nd. Yesterday celebrated the birthday of my better half, my lovely wife. Um, you know, what can you say? No matter what I say, it's not going to be enough for my concern. And actually, she doesn't even listen. But, uh, you know, it's always a fun time. It's uh, it's great to celebrate birthdays, another trip around the sun. And, uh, you know, my wife and the boys, they're the most important things in my life. So, uh, so we had a nice time, just a small little get-together barbecue in the backyard and um, you know it was a lot of fun and uh, you know just uh, you know I love my wife and I love celebrating her birthday and um, you know happy birthday to my bride Andrea. Tonight in Providence Rhode Island the Bridgeport Islanders start their run to the Calder Cup in their best of three best of three that is old school that's when I first started watching hockey. The first round was the best of three, which I think is really cool, but not in this case because they play one home game, which is Wednesday. I have to work, and not that Providence is too far of a drive. It's just too far of a drive during the week. So I gotta, I, I have to miss this round, and, um, you know, I, I hope the boys, you know, pull this round out, uh, get it started tonight with a big win, wrap it up on Wednesday in Bridgeport, and move on to the next round because, uh, you know, it'd be great. It, you know, they battled all, all year for that playoff spot, and uh, and now they're in. And, um, you know, go Islanders, go Bridgeport. Uh, you know, first step, first game tonight, go get Pro. And, and by the way, how about, speaking of Providence, how about Ross Olsen? We've spoken about Ross here on the show a few times, a uh, uh, long time. Well, not long. Well, you know, in the ECHL years, it might be a long time. Uh, Worcester Railer uh, traded late in the season to Orlando. And then I see last week he signed a, a PTO with Providence. So this guy's moving around. I guess he's not ready to end his season yet. Now, I don't know if he's on the playoff roster or not. But uh, it'll be interesting if Mike Cornell plays for Bridgeport and Ross plays for uh, Providence. If, you know, maybe when they're in the corner, maybe give it a little bit of an elbow or a little extra hit. You know, those guys play together in Worcester. I'm sure they're good pals. But a lot of times those guys, uh, th those make the best uh, matchups in the corner. 
you know, you give the guy an extra shot because he's your buddy, but you're going at him full steam. So we'll see. Go Bridgeport. And, um, you know, if Ross Olsen is on Providence, I, I wish him all the best up until tonight. Uh, you know, can't can't root for the Bruins at all in this round. So uh, hopefully their season ends soon. Uh, let's say best case scenario Wednesday, but go Bridgeport Islanders. If you are a regular listener, you know a few episodes back, episode 101 was the Andre Shrubko appreciation episode where I interviewed uh, Yuka from Finland, and uh, it, it was something very close to Yuka's heart. Yuka knows Andre. Uh, Yuka also being in Finland is very close to the Ukrainian border, and um, you know the, the, with the stuff that's still going on, believe it or not, this conflict that over there that's still going on. Uh, you know, you got a lot of stuff to get off his chest, but mostly we focus, you know, focused on Andre. I, I met Andre with, uh, Las Vegas when he played there with Dean Ewan. And, um, it was a really good interview. Uh, really happy to do it. And, uh, I was speaking to Yuka this past week and he asked me about feedback on the episode. And, uh, I said, I did get some feedback. I think, you know, for regular listeners that are strictly Islander fans, it probably wasn't an episode they were interested in, but people that did listen, did give me some feedback. Oh, I was really happy to hear that Yuka received a ton of feedback, and um, uh, he had asked me if I if I might say something about the episode, and I actually turned the tables and I said, "Listen, this was really your episode, and um, you know, if you wanted to say something, that uh, please write it up and I'll read it." And he did, and uh, so this is from from Yuka in Finland regarding uh, the feedback he's received. And uh, any feedback that I've received. And um, I quote, I wanted to say thanks for all the feedback on the Andre Shrubko appreciation episode. And special thanks to everybody out there who's donated to help the Ukraine. Ever since the episode was released, I had many people asking me about Andre and if I knew anything about his fate. But for many weeks, I simply had no answer to give. But that changed on Friday, April 22nd. I was so relieved and happy to learn Andre and his family were safe. The person who gave me the good news is former Baikamo Drakar and Victoriaville Tigre player Felix Morozov. Thank you, Felix, for responding to my message. It is not often I reach out to unknown people on social media. I was not certain if it was okay or cool to reach out this way and inquire about Andre's situation because of the terrible times Ukrainians are now facing. April 22nd brought another moment of joy because in that night's game between Ukraine and Hungary, Felix Morozov scored a damn nice goal. The symbolism didn't escape me. I am certain Felix's family and friends were all mightily proud, mighty proud of that goal, and I am sure this goal was very special for Felix himself too. To this one guy in Finland, that goal meant its own kind of positive closure, and I hope someday to thank Felix in person for his help and shake his hand. This is one story I will remember for the rest of my life, Yuka. So, I mentioned in that interview that some things are bigger than hockey, some things are bigger than sports. And I think sports, I remember, you know, you hear these people that don't like sports, and uh, I joke about it all the time with Rod Peterson saying sports don't matter, sports don't matter whenever uh, something really good happens. Um we, we joke around about it because it's usually people that have never played sports, even, uh, you know, street hockey or touch football in the street that, uh, they don't get how important professional sports are in society. I mean, you know, even job wise, how many, how many jobs, uh, professional sports provide for people, but 
I digress. Um, in that episode, if you haven't listened, maybe give it a listen because uh, it's a pretty serious episode about uh, what's going on in the Ukraine and, and a particular hockey player that both Yuka and I know. Um, and I, I reconnected with Andre a few months ago on Facebook before this whole thing started. And, uh, you know, really, really good kid. And, and he was a lot of fun to watch in Vegas. And I know that Dean and uh, all those guys in Vegas love them. So it, it was a little bit more serious than the usual stuff that comes out of my mouth here, but uh, I still think it was pretty entertaining as well. So uh, maybe go back and listen to episode 101. Now, as I mentioned in episode 102, the Islanders alumni weekend uh, took place uh, two weekends ago, I guess at this point. And uh, I did say that uh, how well it went for me might make or break the future of this program. Well, uh, I'm going to say it didn't go well. Um, it, it really was not, the whole weekend was not conducive for fan involvement. Um, first and foremost, well, let me say this, the weekend was unbelievable for the players, which is really all that counts. I mean, selfishly, and, and when I talk about the future of the show or me seeing the guys, that is strictly selfish motives. And I readily admit that. That weekend was for the players to to be around their ex-teammates, to be around some of the legendary alumni and the Islanders for years and years and years, which, you know, they would, they didn't do this. And with, um, I always always forget the other guy, (laughs) Al Malkin. Uh, Malkin and, of course, John Ledecky, who I would never forget. Uh, they, they really do things right here. And since they started doing this alumni weekend and the players come back, I mean, this is as much as I want it to be for the fans as well. It's really for the players and the players, you just see it on their social media. They got the biggest smiles on their faces and, um, it's definitely for the players and it was an absolute grand slam for those guys. So I am very happy about that because, these are the guys that lay it on the line every night. And some of these guys haven't seen their ex-teammates in years. You know, we don't know their situations if they're able to travel or just hop in the car and drive, you know, across provinces or cross country or into U.S. or into Canada to see these guys. And the Islanders really are giving all the alumni. And, and when I say all the alumni, the only requirement to be a part of alumni weekend is that you have played one game. So literally all the alumni are eligible to come back for alumni weekend and the Islanders really do it right. And the boys had a great time. Now, as far as I go, one of the hindrances of the alumni weekend for me was where the players uh, were staying. Now the players were staying in Manhattan and um, obviously that, you know, even though they were doing stuff at UBS and, and different things, players were staying in Manhattan. It would have been easier for me to try to hook up with some of these guys. Now I sound like a groupie. Um, if they were staying on the island, it would have been a lot more convenient. But again, I'm irrelevant in this. And, and please, I, I under I completely understand that. <laughs> I don't need people going, well, Alumni Weekend's not about you. I know that. I'm just talking about in terms of this show, please. So I, I hope that that is coming through loud and clear. Um, but again, because the Islanders do it right, uh, they took care of the boys on uh, the alumni game against Carolina. They're up in suites, which 
you know, regular people don't have access to. And, um, you know, when they, and they put the alumni on the screen and, you know, I see like old buddies, like I got to see Mick Vakoda for a few minutes and Graham Townsend, uh, had beers with Dave Chizowski, uh, a few nights before that. It was amazing, amazing to see Dave hadn't seen him in decades. And, um, it was, it was really, really good to see him. Uh, saw Trevor Gillies for a few minutes, um, you know, same day that I saw Mick and Graham. Uh, so that was really cool. It's always amazing to see these guys, you know, for someone like myself, it, it's never enough though, right? Like I, you want to hang out, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that, you know, and you can obviously do that on the phone, but it's just cool to like hang out with these guys. And, uh, you know, because over the years they become friends. It's, it's really that simple. And it's, it's like seeing an old friend for a while. So, uh, but then on the other hand, they're putting the alumni on the screen and I'm seeing players that I don't know that either I haven't ever met or haven't seen in a long time. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had the opportunity to just introduce myself. Uh, you know, guys like Mike Stevens and Justin Johnson. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, I really, really wish I could have access to those guys, even for five minutes, just to kind of put the pitch on and say, hey, listen, I'd love to get you on the show. You know, things like that. Uh, I'm like, oh, like everybody they're showing, I'm like, oh, I wish I had five minutes. Oh, five minutes. I'm like, oh, you know, but. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it and, um, I, I can't, I, I, at this point, I have no plans on stopping this. Uh, I'm trying to think of different ideas that I can do, uh, with the lack of player interviews as much as I not a fan, of, I'm not a fan of my solo episodes. Uh, I get a lot of feedback on it and you people seem to like it. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak about six months from now, but for the time being, although uh, I wish that uh, my access to some of these guys during alumni weekend was a little bit better. Uh, I, I just can't see uh, me stopping it right now. And and you never know, maybe a couple, a couple of the ideas I have, uh, you know, if it gets to be a little time consuming or tedious, then, you know, I reserve the right to rescind that. But uh, for the time being, um, Let's, let's keep the show going here. I, I really appreciate uh, everyone's kind words and feedback. So um, hopefully next year, Alumni Weekend goes a little bit better for me. Again, I know my place in this whole thing, which is absolutely nowhere. But hopefully uh, I'm able to make a few more connections uh, next season on the Alumni Day, which is really all I wanted to do is, is try, try to make some connections for this program. Um, but because I know so many of the guys – and I know they had an amazing time. I am really, really pumped for them because they absolutely deserve it. Uh, before we get to the season interview, I want to touch on one more thing. I want to thank everybody. Pardon me as I sip my coffee. Very professional outfit I have here. Um, I want to thank everybody who voted uh, for my basement in the Islanders Nation Fan Cave Contest. Now, I, I of course... Even if I even if I had won, I would have the same criticisms that I have, which I'm about to tell you. But I believe I finished in fifth place. So if I was running this, and I and listen, I get it. What they want, they want you to vote, but they really want to get your information. They want you to come up with a username and password, and they want you to accept emails from the Islanders and emails from the sponsor, and you know, get in touch with the uh, ticket representative. I get it. It's, it's sort of like an information gathering, um, 
event. But if you vote for someone, then, you know, that person will get some sort of prize. So I, I understand exactly what it is. Now, if they wanted to do it right, if they wanted it to be just something where it's actually legitimate, um, then what the Islanders, well, and, and I, I say the Islanders, it was the Islanders, whoever, whoever sponsored the poll, however they do it, it's very simple. Islanders put out on social media, hey, these are the, the four finalists, the 10 finalists, whatever it is for this uh, Isles Nation Fan Cave contest. Click on the link and you can vote. You click on this link, you can, you can see all the participants. And then at the end, you can vote for a number or whatever. But uh, they didn't do that. And it basically became who's got the most friends who will take the time to vote. And, you know, listen, I'm the first person to say when someone asks me to vote, you know, hey, my 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 kids in this, my dogs in this, we're in this, would you vote for me? I do it. I do because friend asks you uh, for help, you help them, right? But yes, it is annoying and it's a first world annoyance when you have to fill out this and come up with a username, come up with a password, make a profile just to click vote. So for those of you who did that, saw that you had to make up this profile and decided not to vote, I get it. I get it. I get it 100%. It's an annoyance. If they wanted to do it right, you can do it in one post. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it wherever and say, here are all the participants. Click the number at the bottom. Vote for the number at the bottom if they really wanted to do it right. But they didn't. And like I said, it became who can get their most friend, who has the most uh, devices that you can log in on and get your friends to vote. So. It is what it is. I actually did it before I saw what the prizes were. And uh, and they were cool prizes. Nothing that I necessarily needed. Uh, but after I saw how the voting was going, then I became, like, hell-bent on winning. But by the third day, I didn't even post anything because I'm like, this is, this is stupid, the way they're doing it. So, you know, but whatever. But I just want to say thank you. And uh, what I said on social media is what I will say here. Uh, I finished in fifth. I'll put my basement up against any of the uh, fan caves that finished ahead of me in a real vote where people just have to vote. You can see it, all of our shit and just click which one you want to vote for. I'm more than happy to put my shit up against anyone else's, but it is what it is. Congratulations to the winners and to everybody who participated. So that brings us to the Islanders. 2021-22 season in review. This, again, like I said, it's just some notes that I've jotted down over the course of the season uh, and stuff that I've remembered. I'm sure that there are shows out there that will give you way more extended season in review than I am. This is mine. I'm sure when I'm done recording, I'm going to say, fuck, I forgot about that. Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. All right. Okay. But this this show is going to focus mainly on the rough stuff. Talk a little bit about the other other uh, aspects of hockey, but I think I covered that stuff. But again, I mean, 
listen, if you're here for uh, professional analysis, well, you know, with the way they're hiring analysts lately, uh, you never had to play in the NHL, it seems like. So maybe I am qualified. Oh, I don't know. That's a, that's another episode. But first, um, of course, there's only one way to start this, and that is uh, with remembering the Islanders that we lost this past season. And that, of course, is Randy Boyd. Clark Gillies, Jean Podvin, and most recently Mike Bossy. Um, all four of those guys, um, you know, they're missed. They are, are, you know, each left their own legacy with the organization and with Islander fans. And, you know, from Hall of Famers like Clark Gillies and Mike Bossy to, uh, you know, John Podvin, Randy Boyd. I mean, everybody, everybody plays a part in this organization, whether you're a hall of famer or not, um, Stanley cup winner or not. And, uh, I, I believe that everybody, just as if you've played one game, you're part of the alumni and you are invited to alumni weekend. I do believe if you play one game in that Islander uniform, uh, that you should be remembered equally. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Randy Boyd, Clark Gillies, John Potvin and Mike Bossy. So as we, we start the season, I mean, everybody knows what was happening this season. Uh, Islanders finally, finally get their new arena. And the UBS arena is fucking unreal. I mean, it is unbelievable. If you have not been to this arena and you have access to it, I urge you to get there next year. It is, I mean, it's just crazy. It's It literally is just unbelievable the the outside exterior well i guess that's where the exterior is on the outside um the exterior is absolutely beautiful uh the interior is beautiful um there's really i mean the concourse all the complaints that people had about the coliseum with the concourses that were actually legitimate complaints as much as i love that venue um you don't have that issue at ubs at all and um it's just it was it's a phenomenal venue um, and like I said, I'm, I'm not going to go on about it anymore because I'm sure I've mentioned it throughout the year and I'm sure, uh, you've heard it, especially if you're an Islander fan and you've been there, it's an amazing venue. And, um, like I said, get there if you can, because you, you just be amazed. You just be amazed. Now, what I will say, and what I always say is of course, um, when you go from a smaller venue to the larger venue, a lot of time you lose some of the atmosphere. And as much as uh, the fans are are loud and vocal, and uh, I had my sister-in-law yesterday tell me that even that last game against Tampa, when, when the crowd was getting loud and everything, and even though it might have only been 75% full, uh, came over really loud over the TV, which is cool. But you're never gonna you're never going to recreate the atmosphere that was at the Coliseum. There will never be... I don't see it in UBS and that this is just based on, uh, you know, the, the, the way the arena is built. It's, it's a larger arena. You have a smaller arena. The sound's going to be more compressed. Um, I don't, I don't ever picture the UBS arena getting as loud as Coliseum did say, you know, the night of the playoff game against Toronto where Cairns Cairns fought Shane Corson and Sean Bates had the penalty shot. I just, I don't know if it's possible, but, uh, and that's not an Islander criticism. That's anywhere, you know, we go from, you know, buildings like Detroit and Chicago and Boston and Philadelphia, all those places that had electric atmosphere in the older buildings to move to the bigger buildings. It's, it just doesn't translate that way. Again, 
doesn't matter. Get to that building. With that building, though, and and having to get it finished, the Islanders started the year on that uh, long road trip. Now, I, I hear people still talking about the road trip, but it seems like there were a lot of smaller road trips in this larger road trip. I think they had a bunch of days off in between, so I wouldn't be surprised if they came home in between some of these games. So... And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they finished the trip at around 500, which is really all you can ask on a road trip, especially uh, an extended road trip to start the season. So people still bring that up, but I don't know. I don't know if that was really a factor. Plus, you know, I know before smartphones, before all iPads and all this other stuff, these road trips were key during a season for team bonding and and all that other stuff, you're just hanging out with your teammates now. I mean, who knows? I don't, I don't know how it is anymore. Maybe it's, I don't know if the teams do team, team dinners all the time. You might get some, you know, this group goes here, this group goes there. I think some people, they bring their Xboxes on the road. So I think it's a little bit different than it used to be. But these long road trips really used to mean something for teams. And, you know, like I said, I still hear people using the road trip as one of the excuses for this season. But I honestly don't know. And, and again... A lot of the stuff I'm going to say today is strictly my opinion. I don't know. Uh, the only people who know for sure are the players. What I do know was a big contributor to this season was the uh, COVID in the beginning of the year. Now, yeah, COVID affected a lot of teams this year, but the Islanders really were the first team that uh, were they were decimated by COVID and the protocols in place and the everyday testing, even if you have no symptoms, it was, uh, they really, they were the first and maybe as the season went on, other teams were, uh, were handled differently, not because they were other teams, just because maybe the NHL learned as they were going along and, you know, but unfortunately, uh, the COVID really just did a number on the Islanders. I remember the Rangers game, the first game at the Coliseum. I think it was the only regular defenseman was Scott Mayfield. And I think the other the other five defensemen were call-ups from Bridgeport. Now, I don't mean they had Bridgeport's defense corps, but there were guys who weren't necessarily going to play for the Islanders at that time, except for Scott Mayfield. And, um, you know, you're not going to win in the NHL with rosters like that, and you're not going to win consistently. So COVID really put the Islanders behind the eight ball. Now, the the talk back then, and and it, I saw it resurface a little bit, was, well, should they have postponed the opening of the building? And in hindsight, yes, of course. But I think what people fail to remember is um, everybody wanted this. Everybody wanted this. And... I would say, of course, there were some people who who did say right from the start, let's let's postpone this. Majority of people that I remember did not want to postpone, especially people that had tickets for opening night. And, you know, and it's only natural. You want to see this new building. You want to see the guys in the new building. You want to experience everything it is. And I'm not sure who had the ultimate decision, whether it was Lula Amarillo, whether it was the NHL. Um, But again, with the benefit of hindsight, the opening weekend should not have happened, should have been delayed, should have been rescheduled. But business is business and business runs things. And 
it's easy to say now that maybe you postpone that opening weekend. You postpone a few of those early season games when the team was absolutely ravaged by COVID. Maybe things are different. Again, it's a bunch of what-ifs. You don't know. But what isn't a what-if is this team being crushed by COVID and really, really putting them behind the eight ball. Um, and, you know, obviously it's too late now. The team showed what it's capable of later in the season. I mean, they were they were in it maybe until the last seven, eight games. And, you know, they had some stinkers in there. But, again, it's, it's always tough to say. I, I think we always want to say you go out, you give 100%. And in theory, that's a great idea. And I know there are some players on this team absolutely take pride in that. I know Matt Martin even said it in, in one of the post-game uh, press conferences that, you know, you still have to play. You, you know, and he didn't say you owe it to the fans, but, like, you're you're paid to play. And, uh, and by the way, these – I wonder how the players feel about this. These <laughs> – the post-game press conferences with the players – um, and I guess it's different because it used to just be the reporters going into the locker room and going up to the guys' lockers and getting quotes that way. Um, it just seems like the players hate these post-game stuff. And honestly, most of the time, it, they just seem so unnecessary. Like, I get it. The last game of the year makes sense, especially with the way it ended with uh, Zidane Chara scoring his first goal, which I'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, those p- press conferences, absolutely. But a Wednesday game where they're playing Winnipeg or Arizona in a, and where nothing really happens, do you need to have five or six guys available to the media? And I get it. The media has a job to do. But for the most part, they're just regurgitating the same stuff. So I'd be interested to ask the players how they feel about that. I think I know the answer, but of course I'm not going to speak for them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, they – the season should have been delayed, but I am not a hypocrite. I said it at the beginning. I didn't want it delayed because, again, selfishly, I wanted to go to opening night. I wanted to see the building. But, you know, months later, yeah, I wish I wish they had delayed it. So um, there I am, coming clean, right? One thing that uh, was an ongoing thing this year was the Oliver Wallstrom and Barry Trotz thing, where people on social media, fuck, why does Barry hate Oliver Wallstrom? Well, I don't know Barry Trotz. I've had the pleasure of speaking to him maybe three or four times. I'm going to guess he doesn't hate Oliver Wallstrom. Um, I can't say why Oliver Wallstrom seems to... Uh, be held accountable for every little thing he does or maybe every little thing he does wrong sometimes seems like he's being held accountable for other people but i don't know what i do know is that um barry trotz is a winner and barry trotz has coached many great players and he obviously has a plan for oliver wallstrom now it's none of our business if he doesn't want to disclose it but uh, there were times this year even I was like, wow, I don't know about that one, but you know, it's, uh, Barry's coached a lot of great players and Barry has helped a lot of great players in their career. And, uh, I'm going to just, 
I'm I'm on that side of the fence where I don't obviously I don't think Barry hates Oliver Wallstrom. I really don't. I've seen coaches dislike players before and they bury them. And that was obvious. Uh I think I don't know, maybe Barry just expects more from him. And then the flip side of that is, well, how are you going to get more from him when you don't play him? And I think both sides are valid. Um but I don't think Barry hates Oliver Wallstrom and um I think it was I don't remember which newspaper, maybe the Post. Um, they had an article where Wallstrom said he appreciates uh, Barry's tough love with him. Now, I want to give full credit to Oliver Wallstrom on that because even if he doesn't, even when Oliver Wallstrom is with his pals and if he just curses up a storm about how Barry treats him, he's smart enough to know what to say in the media. And I don't think a lot of players really get that. Um, but that I thought when I, I didn't read it, I don't, you know, what I know exactly what the article is going to say without reading it. And I didn't read it, but of course the clickbait was about Wallstrom appreciating how Barry's treating him. And I just, I read that and I'm like, you know what? Good for him because he knows how to play the game. And even if there's friction between the two, if they're keeping it in house, so be it. There have been plenty of successful coaches and players that don't like each other, but they're there for the same goal. So I don't know what the issue is. I, I hope that next year Wallstrom has an increased role with this team. I'm going to talk about him a little bit later with some things you may not know. Um, but I think Oliver Wallstrom is going to be a key part of this team. I know some reporter um, put it out on Twitter, I think, after the final game about Wallstrom not coming back or whatever. And again, it's clickbait. Um I, I don't see Oliver Wallstrom not being back with this team unless he's part of a giant trade or something like that. You're just not going to give up on a kid with that much potential. So, um, But again, I don't think uh, Barry Trotz hates Oliver Wallstrom. Uh, someone else I want to talk about now is... Um, I, well, let me let me jump to this. So the season's over. They got the final game against Tampa. And, um, again, go to the game, maybe 75% full, whatever. And, um, you know, they're winning. Then they eventually lose. But before they lose, uh, Zdeno Chara scores the final goal, goal of the season and his first goal at the new arena. And that was pretty cool. I mean, in a season that there were a lot of forgetful things this season, that moment was pretty awesome. This year, now, I, I'm guilty of it. When they signed Chara at the beginning of the year, I remember we were on our way to a uh, great adventure. And uh, my friend Anthony texted me. He's like, they signed Chara. And I was pumped. Um, I didn't watch Chara last year with Washington, only when they played the Islanders. So I don't know what kind of a season he had. Um, the criticism... On social media, again, everything goes back to social media, it seems like. But the criticism on social media, oh, he's old, he's slow, he's this, he's that. Well, he's 90 years old. How, how, what do you expect from him? Now, I, again, I, I think the the drop-off was real, especially from his prime. You know, he's a great defenseman, his prime, Hall of Fame defenseman. But I did enjoy seeing the criticism and enjoy his in quotes from couch jockeys talking about how he sucks and uh then of course seeing some of those same couch jockeys talk about what a great moment it was that he did this it's like you know you hate the guy all year but now you think it's cool and you're probably after the game waiting for his autograph but you'll criticize him on twitter uh, you know 
Um, it was it was a great moment. You know, again, talk about sports. Uh, so many great moments in sports. Not many great moments this year for the Islanders, but that was a really cool moment. And after the game, when he got the first star and um, the Tampa Bay players coming over to shake his hand and the officials coming over to shake his hand, um, when he, when he gets the first star, he comes out, waves to the crowd. Then he does the post game interview on the bench. It was just really cool. It's a nice way to, to, to end a career if it is indeed his last game. And, um, you know, we talk about, and I know I've talked about it in some of the other shows that, um, out there have talked about it. The people, this, these new age fans where they want four top lines and they want three top pairing defensemen and two hall of fame goalies, because that's, that's what they do in the video games. And that's what analytics, we got to worry about analytics. I don't think they really grasp that part of being a team and part of being a player is not just what you see on the ice. Now this year, Noah Dobson made an unbelievable leap forward in his game. I mean, phenomenal. And what was different this year for Noah Dobson than any other time in his career? Zdeno Chara. And I promise you, when Noah Dobson one day is accepting his Norris Trophy and and, um, giving his speech... Zdeno Chara will be one of the players, one of the people that he thanks, because for everything that uh, you people didn't get from Zdeno Chara this year on the ice, what he brings to the locker room, and I know there's no analytic for that, so of course it can't possibly be true, um, is invaluable. And, And if you don't get that, well, then I can't help you. But the proof is out there in Noah Dobson. Um, And I'm sure if you ask Noah Dobson, he would tell you exactly the same thing. You know, it's just people, now they just look at the numbers and they look at the stats and and those analytics. But uh, Chara this year, no, he was not not the old Chara. Uh, And many players are never what Chara used to be. But what he provided to this organization this year is truly invaluable. And I and I hope that him and Lou have discussed next season. And if I if if I was Lou, I would say, look, Z, thank you for this year. I don't think we have a spot for you next year. Feel free to go and see if anyone is interested in your services. But if nobody wants to sign you, please, we want you back in this organization, whether it's an assistant coach in Bridgeport or, or somewhere, you find a spot for this guy. So, um, again, selfishly, I hope that that was his last game against Tampa because I'd love to have uh, Zdeno Chara as part of the Islanders organization. And, again, he may come back. He may come back, and if he comes back as a you know player, he's still Islanders may sign him. Who knows? I don't think so. But if there's any way that he retires, I hope that I'm sure the Bruins would love to get him back. But hopefully if he does retire, he is part of this organization next year in some capacity. They used to have two assistants down in Bridgeport. I think this year they went with one. So uh, there is a spot there. Of course, it's not my money. Uh, so it's easy for me to say there's a spot there. But I'd love to see Char back in the blue and orange in some capacity. And um, especially uh, 
what he did with Noah Dobson this year, you put him down in Bridgeport on a full-time basis working with young defensemen, it, it can only, only help them. So, uh, one thing I do have to touch on, uh, because it, uh, it was again in the, uh, I saw it again in the Tampa game. So it's fresh in my mind and it's not an Islanders thing. It's a society thing. Can we please fucking stop treating celebrities like they walk on water? Um, this actress, Chloe Moretz, who's apparently this Islanders super fan, even though she's a Kings fan. Uh, Chloe Moretz goes to a couple of Islander games a year and this fucking, well, the social media aspect of the team bends over backwards for her. Like, give me a fucking break, please. I think, I think she went to two games this year. Okay. There are people who went to every game this year and they don't get treated like uh, Chloe Moretz. Um, Chloe Moretz says, hey, I'm coming to the game. Oh, okay. Uh, let's put you in a suite. No charge. Uh, hey, let's uh, let's make sure we get you at the team store, and we're not going to charge you anything either. Um, I mean, really, with these celebrities? Stop. Stop. I'd, I'd much rather see the Islanders do something for any season ticket holders that have been around since 1972 than fucking promote this Chloe Moretz at the game. These, these, they're so, it's again, not the Islanders. These teams are so desperate to fucking post pictures of these celebrities at their game wearing their colors. Why, why nobody, you're not making any new fans because Chloe Moretz goes to two Islander games a year and is a Kings fan. I mean, really enough with this fucking bullshit. Jesus. And, and now really cool thing. The Islanders did last game of the year. They give out, um, yearbook. And of course, in the yearbook, there's a page dedicated to the celebrities who have come to the games this year. But you know what wasn't in the yearbook? And if you're of a certain age and you like the yearbooks and the media guides, um, after the, the the major league squad in these books, what did they always put? The minor league guys, the prospects. Not a mention of any of them. Couldn't ever, couldn't put a few pages in there of the up-and-coming Bridgeport guys or the up-and-coming draft pick guys. We had to put a page in there for celebrities. Mm, you know, me, you know. hopefully, and it's not going to get any better. You know, it definitely won't. It'll only get worse. But uh, I had to get that off my chest because, again, fresh in my mind because a Kings fan comes to a couple Islander games and has a cool job, so we got to bend over backwards for her. Enough, please. Thank you. I know... People laugh when I say this, but I really fucking mean it. It's irritating. Some general numbers for the year. Zach Parise, the only player to play in all 82 games. So uh, that's great. Uh, durability is a good thing. And you know none of these guys were healthy all year. These guys, it's not basketball. It's not soccer. These guys play hurt. So, um, you know, the fact that a guy like Zach Parise, 82 games, good for him. Uh, Brock Nelson. And Anders Lee were the only two players to have 20-plus goals. Brock Nelson, what a season, 37 goals. Anders Lee, 28 goals. Uh, it's really what you come to expect from these guys. You know, Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, consistent. I mean, listen, 37 goals for Brock. Uh, you don't expect that, but why not? Now maybe that's his, that's his new norm. Um, just what a, what a season. He was so much fun to watch, these guys. And, and – they're not players you generally identify as like flashy superstar players, but they're just meat and potato kind of guys. And, you know, you get in the right position here and there and, you know, you end up with 37 goals or 28 goals. Um, just, 
you know, what can you say about those guys? They're just great to see and, um, you know, reliable players. And I hope they're with this organization a long time. Now, on the flip side of that, and I shouldn't say the flip side because Matt Barzell did, was tied for the team leading points this year with 59 points, tied with uh, Brock Nelson, okay? But he had 15 goals. And I'm going to say only 15 goals because, well, I'm sure if you look at the advanced analytics, he was expected to have a lot more than that because now now stats predict the future. But Butch Goring made mention of Barzell's uh, goal production before the final game. He, he called him out a little bit. And, of course, well, social media, you can't criticize Matt Barzell, even if you're Butch Goring because, honestly – what does Butch Goring know about hockey that the 17-year-old in his basement couldn't tell you even better, right? But he did he did call him out. I think he said he was 82nd in the league um, in points. And he basically, basically called him out a little bit. And he wasn't aggressive about it, but I, I think it's a fair point. Now, for me, I'm tired of hearing get Barzell you know, a winger, get him this, get him that, play him with Wallstrom, whatever. I, I do think there's some truth to that, but I also think there's some truth to Barzal shoot the puck. And he even made made reference to that in one of his press conf- post-game press conferences, talking about, well, I'm sure there there's thousands of people telling me to shoot. So he's obviously aware that uh, people think he should shoot more. I, I, I love Matt Barzal. I do. I think... In the wake of the whole way John Tavares left this organization, people just wanted to anoint Matt Barzal the next one. And it might just be that Matt Barzal is not as good as John Tavares, as much as people out there hate him. You can hate John Tavares all you want, but John Tavares made players around him better. Uh, Matt Molson, solid player. Absolutely love Matt Molson. I'm not sure he's put up numbers that he did like he did with the Islanders playing with Tavares. And that's just one example of how Tavares, I think, makes makes play, made players better around him. Now, I can't speak on what happens in Toronto because I don't watch the Leafs. But I know when he was here, John Tavares was a superstar. And I don't think Matt Barzal is a superstar. Could he be? Absolutely. Is he? No. And everybody's favorite whipping boy... On social media, by the way, Josh Bailey had one fewer goal than Matt Barzell. But you can criticize Josh Bailey till the cows come home. I love Josh Bailey, too. But why can't you call out Matt Barzell for having one more goal than everybody's favorite whipping boy? I, I, think, I don't think that's fair. A buddy of mine posted something about Matt Barzell and got crucified. Because there's basically two factions uh, of Matt Barzell fans. One are the kiddies who think Matt Barzal is great and he's so cute and he does all this stuff and, hey, he's flashy. I mean, Jesus. I mean, listen, Matt Barzal is immensely talented. Let, let's call it as it is. Um, when he has the puck, good luck getting it off his stick. Um, and th- and those those young fan people, because I don't think you can call them fanboys anymore. I think that's misogynistic. I can't, there's so many rules now. Um, they don't think you should criticize him. And then you get the – and they think that Barry Trotz should – alter his system to um, help out to get the best out of Matt Barzell. Then there's the other side who thinks that Matt Barzell should adapt to the system. And the truth lies somewhere in between. Um, I do, I do think, I do wonder what it would be like if, if they get 
a free agent like a Goudreau or a Forsberg. I, I know there's other free agents, but I couldn't tell you. I, those are the two names that come up often. You, you get players like that, put them on a line with Barzal, it would be interesting. I, I definitely think so. But um, I'm hoping that next year is a rebound year for Barzal. And again, it, it, a rebound year for the team's tied leading scorer, yeah, I, I think I think a rebound year is fair to say. Um, I just think for your best player, your most skilled player, I think, uh, and I say that, which is the general consensus. I think people generally assume when out of town people, Matt Barzal is their best player, is their their most dynamic player. I think you need more than 15 goals. So I'm hoping that next year is better for him, whether or not they get him that winger that everybody is coveting. I think you need more from him. And uh, I think that's a fair criticism. I think for a guy as talented as Matt Barzal is, I, th- I think it's fair to expect more from him. Uh, Adam Pellick led the team with plus 20. That's always uh, pl- uh, plus minus. Uh, I don't think people give that stat enough credit, but uh, I think plus 20, pretty solid. I think the days are over seeing the ridiculous plus minuses of the, like those uh, 80s Oilers teams. Those things were crazy, but plus 20, pretty good. Now, <clears throat> if you're looking for any advanced analytics like Corsi, or expected goals. I mentioned that already. How do you how do you make up a stat on expected goals? So if the Islanders play next year game one and score eight goals, and then game two, they score two, is the expected goals five now for game three? Like the, analytics is the biggest scam going. Now I, again, I, I think there's a place for it. You can make up things and and whatever, but think about it. Analytics, the analytics people make, they made up these stats. They fucking made up numbers and built an industry on it. <laughs> and and people are like, hey, yeah, this is great. Oh, what's the expected goals for the Toronto Tampa series? How the fuck do you know what that is? Is it just what do you, well, Tampa averages 4.2 goals a game. So is that the expected goals? Well, the Toronto goalie gives up 3.7. Like, Fucking watch the games. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Well, anyway, if you're looking for made-up stats, this probably is not the show for you. And hopefully you haven't invested, uh, let's see, what are we at? An hour almost in uh, advanced, waiting for your advanced stats because that horseshit does not live here. So now, here we go. Let's get to the rough stuff. Now, we'll start with penalty minutes, which don't necessarily translate to all physical stuff, but there is someone here that, uh, there is someone I want to talk about here. Uh, so normally, you know, everyone likes the numbers, top five, top 10. So for the penalty minutes, I'm going to do top seven because Ross Johnston ranked seventh on the team in penalty minutes by far playing the least amount of games of anyone else, anyone else on this list. Um, Ross Johnston played 32 games, the next lowest total is Scott Mayfield, 61 games. Ross Johnson ranked seventh on the team this year, 44 penalty minutes in 32 games. Number six was Casey Zizekas, 48 penalty minutes in 74 games. Scott Mayfield starts the top five, 55 penalty minutes in 61 games. Kyle Palmieri, Palmieri, let's say it all together now, Palmieri, 57 penalty minutes in 69 games. Third, Matt Martin, 70 penalty minutes in 71 games. Now, here's where you might be surprised. Second, 
on the team in penalty minutes. Oliver Wallstrom, 74 penalty minutes in 73 games. I like that. I'll be honest with you. I know some of, well, maybe not you listeners out there, but some, you know, hockey dorky listeners are like, Oliver Wallstrom had 74 penalty minutes. I actually like that. This kid plays with fire. And with a fire, I shouldn't say play with fire, but plays with a fire. Him and um, Kiefer Bellows, for young guys, um, they both have a little bit of a mean streak. And Bellows, more Bellows than Wallstrom in terms with the gloves on, let's say. Where Bellows, you could see it in his face where he kind of gets that red look and he's going to go back at a guy. I love that fire. Where Wallstrom a few times this year uh, came to the defense of teammates and didn't always get a fighting major for it. Um, and you, and you love to see that. I mean, really, because it, it should never always fall on one or two guys. And I didn't, I knew what Wallstrom had done all year, seeing coming to the defense of players. I had no idea he was second on the team at penalty minutes. So um, for someone like myself who always wants to see a little bit of jam with these players, guys like Wallstrom and Bellows, two of the team's best prospects, I love seeing that fire inside of those guys. I really do. And uh, Wallstrom, second on the team at penalty minutes, 74 PIMS in 73 games. And, of course, the one name I haven't mentioned yet is Dan O'Chara. Well, mentioned in the top seven. I mentioned him a few times already. Um, Charrett led the team in penalty minutes, 85 penalty minutes in 72 games. So there's your top seven penalty minute getters. Um, I don't know if I want to see Oliver Wallstrom second every year. I wouldn't mind seeing him in the top five at all. Uh, I would hope to see, um, you know, Martin and Johnston at the top of the list. Of course, you're going to see Clutterbuck there too, depending on what happens. Now, I know that fourth line, everybody, well, not everybody loves the fourth line. They, they play mean sometimes, and that hurts some people's feelings. But that fourth line has been intact for quite a few years now. And, and uh, as, as fourth lines go, it's the best in hockey. And um, Clutterbuck, Zizekas, and Martin, it's, it's three names that are synonymous. And I like Cal Clutterbuck. I do. I have nothing against – well, I have one thing against him, what he did with the Trevor Gillies, which I have – Said numerous times when he was still with Minnesota, I thought that was a Bush League move. Um, I kind of like Martin Sezikis and Johnston. Now, I know, I know you guys are shocked to hear me say that. I know that you're you're just surprised that I like Johnston and Martin playing together with Sezikis in the middle. That has to be earth-shattering news. I know you're shocked. But once Cal got hurt, and for the most part, we saw Martin, Sezikis, and Johnston, I love that line. I really do. I love that line. I like it better than the Clutterbuck uh, aspect of that line. And um, so next year will be interesting. I, I, I'm i hoping that it, it doesn't mean they're going back to the old fourth line and Ross is going to be a scratch for more than half the games. Um but I, I dig that line. I dig Martin Johnston and Sezikis. I really do. So uh, I'm hoping to see that next year, uh, you know, continue because they played well this year. And uh, I know some people don't want to give credit to guys who play physical like that, but uh, I think you people do. And uh, and if you didn't watch the games, they, they played pretty well this year. I think at the beginning of the year, you had the, uh, the typical critics, the Ross Johnson critics, the low-hanging fruit, because they can't come up with anything original. But... The kid had a really good year. 
So, um, you know, he played very well in the limited role that he had. And then at the end, you know, the, the second half of the year when he had uh, more opportunities, he played well. I think it's time that um, you people, and again, not you people listening, I think you know, but these uh, new age nerds start giving this guy a little bit of credit. All his hard work is paying off. As far as fighting majors, Islanders had 24 total fights this year, tied with Winnipeg for eighth in the NHL. Uh, Nashville, Nashville are the new, uh, well, what's the street in that? You know, um, do they have a broad street in Nashville? The new broad street bullies? Um, 59 fights, which (laughs) in in 2021-22, you may as well have had 200 if you have 59 in in a season this year. I'm surprised that... uh, you know, people in Toronto, these writers who think they have influence aren't calling for uh, an investigation. But Nashville led the league in 59 fights. Islanders had 24, like I said, uh, tied with Winnipeg for eighth. Um, bunch of guys registered at least uh, one fight this year. So uh, ranking fifth on the team, Brock Nelson won fight against Anthony Sorelli. That was his second career NHL fight, obviously all with the Island- both with the Islanders. Kyle Palmieri. Had one fight this year against that asshole in Florida, Radko Gudis, uh, his only Islanders fight thus far. Kiefer Bellows, uh, as I said, he plays with a little bit of jam, plays with a little bit of fire, uh, only resulted in one called fighting major this year against Max Pacioretty of Vegas. Uh, tied for fourth this year, the aforementioned Oliver Wallstrom, the new uh, new goon on the team. And I say that lightheartedly, goon is not a word that we use in this house. Um, had two fights this year, uh, Adam Ernie of Detroit. And uh, boy, what a dick P.K. Subban has turned out to be on ice. I don't, Again, off the ice, don't know. But what a piece of shit with the slew footing, all this stuff. And um, Wallstrom went after him. So those are his two fights. And uh, he's got three on his career so far with the Islanders. Uh, also with uh, two fights, J.G. Pajot. Had two, fought Alexis Lafreniere, which was the first fight in UBS Arena history. And his second fight was against Matt Nieto. And that game against San Jose had a, had a few fights. It was kind of a physical game, which you, you don't expect really when you have uh, two teams that don't play each other that often. Uh, and those were fights number two and three for Pajot as an Islander. And rounding out the two-fight club this year, Scott Mayfield, uh, two fights this year, uh, Adam Lowry of Winnipeg and Klim Costin of St. Louis. And those were fights 12 and 13 of Mayfield's Islanders career. We get to the top three, Ross Johnston, four fights this year, uh, Luke Shen, Eric Gubranson, Luke Shen of Vancouver, Gubranson of Calgary, uh, Pat Maroon of Tampa. And uh, the final fight this year was against Wayne Simmons. And uh, Ross currently stands with 18 career NHL fights, all with the Islanders. Number two on the list, Zidane Chara, five fights. Pat Maroon of Tampa, Yakov Trenin of Nashville, uh, Mason Gertzen of Jersey, Zach McEwen of Philly. And uh, talk about that San Jose game, the Jeff Veal uh, of San Jose. Uh, those were uh, Zidane's five fights this year. And... Um, Provided he doesn't return next year, uh, Chara finishes with 18 career Islanders fights. And the team leader in fights this year, Matt Martin, six fights. Uh, I 
<laughs> I don't remember how to say this guy's name. I'll try it. Uh, Juhar Kiara of the Blackhawks was the first fight. Fought Liam O'Brien of the Coyotes twice. Fought Nick Foligno of the Bruins twice. And finished the year fighting Joel Edmondson. And um, Matt Martin has 80 career Islanders fights. And I'm hoping, hoping, I'd love to see Matt Martin finish with triple digits. And um, that would be pretty amazing. It's 20 more fights over the remainder of his contract. Easy for me to say, by the way, because they're not my hands. They're not my body. Um, but, it, you know, again, we talk about like just like in the round numbers. And um, what's the difference if Matt Martin finishes with 95 career fights or 90 career fights? Um, 92 career fights or a hundred. Again, it's just, it's a number, it's a milestone number. Uh, but you know, listen, you, you know how much I love Matt Martin. So, uh, it'd be nice if he, if he gets to that, if not, it's all good. I know we're going to get the effort every night. So let's look ahead to 2022, 23, obviously, uh, hockey, you build the team from the net out. Um, Sorokin and Varlamov, I mean, that tandem is solid. Um, Sorokin had to prove it to me. I've said it numerous times. Heard all about this kid in the KHL and how great he was. And I said, well, let's see him do it in North America. Let's see him do it against the in the best league in the world. Um, KHL, generally regarded by people as the second best league in the world. To me, it's the third best league in the world. I, I don't know anymore. I know teams were leaving. Um, and I just wanted, I wanted Sorokin to prove it here. And he has. The kid's amazing. Um, he, I mean, he just is. I love watching this kid play every night. And, um, you know, Varlamov, there were rumors at the deadline. He ended up not going anywhere. And just seeing the goalie injuries, if you don't, you don't have to trade him, don't trade him. You're going into the season with one of the best tandems in the league. I would not trade that kid. Well, he's not a kid. Well, to me, he's a kid. But when I say kid, talking about Sorokin, don't trade Varlamov. Go into the season with those two. Um, Islanders have some, some young prospects in the minors, uh, not sure they're ready. And why would you rush them? Yeah. These, t I mean, let Sorokin play 55 games of Arlamov play the rest. To me, goaltending is the least thing, least position I'm worried about with this team. You move up to defense. You got three legitimate young stars in Noah Dobson, Pellick, Pulak, um, Scott Mayfield. Now, I think next year is the last year of his contract, so who knows. Um, I mean, you got those four guys there. It's a, it's a, it's just a base to build on. Um, I don't love Ajo. Uh, I know he played well late in the season. I don't really – he's fine. I don't I don't love him. I don't hate him. He's, he's another guy. Uh, I'd much rather see Robin Salo uh, up here for a full season. Everyone – since they traded Nick Letty, we need a puck mover. We need a puck mover. Well, there's Robin Sallow. Um, there's your puck moving defenseman. Uh, you know, let's get him up here next year, play a full season. Uh, guy I'm anxious to see, uh, you know, during my furlough two seasons ago, I watched all the Bridgeport games, and I was really impressed with Samuel Bolduke. Uh, I'd love to see him try to take the next step next year. If he's not going to be a full-timer up here, maybe he's the first guy called up you know, uh, injury replacement, seventh defenseman. Um, now in defense, you always want to have that, that veteran, like this year, the Islanders had green and Chara 
If Chara is not coming back, do you bring Green back? I don't have an issue with it. I, I, you need a veteran back there. So if it's not Andy Green, it has to be someone else. Green knows the system. Uh, I, Trotz loves him. Lou loves him. Um, again, he's an older guy, but I think with especially with all the young defensemen here, you need a veteran back there. And Green is already an established voice in the room with these young defensemen. I have no problem if they bring back Andy Green, but you definitely need a veteran presence back there for leadership stability he's been through everything so but i mean i'm excited about this young defense and um you know like i said you got the three young studs up there i love scott mayfield i'd like to see him scrap a little bit more baby maybe and again these guys hands are tied you can't kill guys in front of the net anymore i'd like to see that too but you touch a guy you get called for a penalty so who the hell knows The, the rules now suck ass but Defense, again, I don't think there needs to be too much work there. I think you have a lot of your pieces already on the roster. Well, that brings us to up front, which, of course, is everyone's main concern. I've already mentioned Johnny Gaudreau and Forsberg. I think his name's Philip. I I think these are guys' names that I've heard over the course of the season. I don't know who else is out there. I don't watch the other teams. I have no idea. What I was surprised at, I thought Johnny Gaudreau was a lot older than he is. It feels like he was with San Jose forever, um, but he wasn't. He's still under 30. So if you're able to add one of those two guys, put him up there with Barzal, I think things will be different. Everyone's new favorite toy, Atu Ratu. Um, everybody is now an Atu Ratu fan. I wonder if his name was different, if people would... Like, if his name was George Johnson, like, would people still have this much anticipation for him. Um, I think part of it is his name, but potentially the steal of last year's draft. And um, you never know. I think we see him at least part of the time on the Island next year. Although I, I say that, I don't know what the rules are with, with these European leagues. If he's allowed, if he's, I I don't fucking know. So I don't know, but I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see, uh, see what he does at the NHL level. Now I'm going to give you a name. We're almost done here, by the way. Going to give you a name to look out for. And I don't know if this guy is an NHL caliber player. He's a kid. He's a baby. He's Finnish. Now, I know I don't promote a lot of Finnish players on this program, but there's a player that the Islanders drafted in the fifth round last year named Itu Liukas from Finland. He's a 6'2", 200-pound baby. He's 20, maybe. I don't know, 19. Apparently, he hits like a train. Uh, apparently, he's a big hitter. Now, I've, I have that uh, from some pretty reliable sources. And, uh, you know, with the way the game is now, you always like to see some hitting involved because there's really, oh, well, I guess if the Islanders get a big hitter, there'll be a lot more fights because according to social media and some of these uh, reporters, every time there's a big hit, there's a fight. So this is good news then. Um, but this kid, Liukas is apparently a really, really big hitter. He's probably not done growing yet either. So I'm, he's someone that I guess everybody will be looking at Atu Ratu in training camp next year. And I'll be the guy looking at E2 Liukas to see, uh, to see what he's all about. But I would say it might behoove the Islanders to have him spend some time with Ross Johnston, maybe teach him how to defend himself. Cause he's got the physical tools, um, but I can't imagine he's getting much uh, in the way of fighting lessons over in Finland. Um, 
So maybe if he comes for camp next year, maybe he'll let him spend some time with uh, some of the guys in the organization. Because if he's gonna, if he's going to play in in North America, let's say, I don't know when he would be eligible to play in Bridgeport. Um, he's gonna have to answer the bell sometimes because there are still some guys that are gonna make you answer the bell. And uh, this is someone that uh, you know I'm anxious to see if uh, how how big of a hitter he is. So um, remember that name, Itu Liukish. Finally, uh, for years, we have been hearing about Lane Lambert getting a head coaching position. This may be the year that Islander fans lose who the guy who's probably the best assistant associate coach in the league. Um, Steve Eiserman just fired a bunch of coaches in Detroit, and Eiserman and Lambert go way back. And um, I saw someone in the Detroit media, someone posted a – someone reposted a list that this guy listed like seven or eight coaches that he would be okay with. So I hope Weiserman was reading that guy's Twitter um, that he would be okay with if the Detroit were to hire them as the head coach. Uh, Lambert wasn't on that list. So I don't know. This guy might be a little upset. Uh, I think we all know Lane Lambert deserves a head coaching position. Um, this might be the year we lose him. Uh, it's, it's coming. It's coming. It would and kind of it would be kind of cool if he ended up in Detroit because you know Eiserman's going to give him all the opportunity to build the team, to help build the team with him. So I think Detroit makes perfect sense for him. Selfishly, again, I I hope we don't we hope the Islanders don't lose him um, because he's been amazing for this team. He, when Barry was out this year, uh, he was he stepped in, did great job, did a great job. So uh, Lambert might be gone. And um, that would suck, but we'll see. We'll see. We're only a week, uh, not even a full week in the off season here. So, um, God, how long have I been talking? You know, for a guy who doesn't talk a lot as far as like regular hockey, I think half of that was about non-fighting. I don't know what, this is not a new corner for me. Trust me. There's no turning the corner here. I don't know. I just, you know, when you only watch one team, uh, you you could fill your head with different things. So, um, if you want to know my playoff predictions, I did uh, I did a bracket, and I have Colorado beating Florida. Um, I have Toronto losing to Tampa in the first round, which will be a lot of fun. As as annoying as Tampa is, that Toronto fan base, it's it'll be fun. Uh, I wanted the Islanders to get into the playoffs, obviously, as an Islander fan, and I wanted them to play Toronto in the first round. Uh, probably the next best thing is having Toronto play Tampa in the first round. So uh, I have Toronto losing to Tampa. Uh, I have the Rangers beating Pittsburgh. I, I uh, Again, this is based on the games that these teams have played against the Islanders. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sold on the Penguins goaltending. Uh, but I, I, on the other hand, they have a much better you know, better offensive team, I think, than the Rangers. But Rangers goaltending, I think, is way better than Pittsburgh, and goaltending is what wins. Um, rest easy. I don't have the Rangers going uh, – I have the Rangers winning a round and then losing in the second round. But um, that's my prediction. Colorado and Florida, Colorado winning. And um, for what it's worth, which is absolutely zero, uh, that's it. I, obviously, I filled out the rest of the bracket. I can't remember who's playing whom, though. So – um, yeah, which really doesn't make a difference. What do I know, right? Nothing. Uh, but anyway, 
that ends the episode. If you like what you've heard, please consider hitting that subscribe button. And if you have a moment, please uh, like and rate the show. And if you have more than one moment, two moments or more, maybe consider throwing the show a review. Gives the show some greater visibility. And, uh, you know, who doesn't want to be more visible, right? Anyway, uh, next week, uh, I think I think an interview next week is probably wishful thinking. So what I'm going to do is say... 50-50, we have an episode next week. Really low chance of an interview. So if there is an episode, it'll be a solo joint. Isn't that what Spike Lee calls his stuff? So, uh, you know, solo joint for me. Um, there'll definitely be an episode in two weeks if there isn't an episode next week. And hopefully in two weeks, I will have an interview for you. So... With that, thank you for listening to me yammer on for approximately one hour and 20 minutes. Good Lord. For someone who has nothing to say, I say a lot. Everybody out there, please, everybody, you people out there, stay safe. Mm-hmm.